Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Well, what happens in a pastor's life? We wake up in the morning and thoughts flood our heads. So I'd like to share with you one of my morning wake-ups and the thoughts that flooded into my head. Here are just a few of the many things that the Bible says about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, Just as all in union with Adam at physical birth die spiritually, and that's every human being who comes to earth. We come to earth physically alive and spiritually dead. So shall all who are in union with Christ be made spiritually alive. That's how you get to heaven. You move from spiritual death to spiritual birth. And the spiritually alive are the ones who go to heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, And Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to the power of sin, And so that we might live for righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. At the moment you believed in Christ, the absolute righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to you as your admission ticket to heaven. Also, the righteousness of God the Father was imputed to you at the moment of salvation. What does it mean, imputed? It means credited to your account. And so no matter who you think you are, It's important who God thinks you are, and if you're a believer in Christ, he thinks that you're absolutely righteous, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. How about that? You like apples? How you like them apples? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, And the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, and he is the exact representation of the Father's essence. What does that mean? It means he is the exact same in essence as God the Father. He is deity. He is God. And the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And when the Lord Jesus Christ had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father, on high. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. 
and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things are either preposterous claims of a madman or they are the truth. And each of us get to decide. Is Jesus Christ God? From my point of view, absolutely. The proof is positive. I know this. If I had a friend or a family member whose salvation was in question in my mind, I would sit them down and read these verses to them, introducing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I would give them a written copy of the verses. And then I would email the verses. And then I would leave them a voicemail with the verses. And every time I saw them, without saying another word, I would simply recite more salvation-related verses to them, like John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and He loved the world so much that He gave His uniquely born Son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but has eternal life. A pastor friend of mine asked a little boy if uh, Jesus Christ uh, is the God-man. And the little boy said, yes, he is. And he said, well, what does that mean? Is he 50% God and 50% man? And the little boy said, no. He said, that's exactly what my teacher in Christian school says. And I've argued with her a bunch. He's 100% God and 100% man. Hmm. Hmm. Fully God and fully man. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 3, 17. For God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world, but the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through Him. I guarantee this. God the Holy Spirit would honor your actions with His divine power if you would do the suggestion that I just said, and your friend or family member would be defenseless against this onslaught of truth. But when we're evangelizing to people, what do we do? Well, I don't know what to say. Well, say what I just told you to say. I don't know what to say. I'm not very articulate like you, Pastor. Yeah. Well, I noticed the Bible verse in there. If you're not articulate, then don't evangelize to people. Is that what it says in here? By the way, this is the Bible. I always point to this area and everybody who's watching with me. What in the hell is he pointing at? What is he pointing at the podium? Pointing at the Bible. And I don't see anywhere in here where it says, if you're not articulate, you're off the hook as a Christian. Amen? Amen. We're not off the hook. This is serious business. The salvation of other people is serious business. And we have family members, and we don't evangelize to them. Why is that? Because we don't like them that much. That's why. We say, like, oh, God, I hope you go to hell. That's what it is. But it's a, this is a serious matter. It's not a joke. Right? And we can laugh about it. But it's not a joke. So there's an easy way to evangelize. Here's another easy way to evangelize. I wrote a book called, this isn't the book. Where is it? It's over here. <laughs> and you will be saved. Here's, here is your inarticulate evangelism method. Hand it to them. You don't have to say Jack. 
and there are 82 or 90 amazingly funny pages that introduce God. You can email it to them. There's a link on our website where you can send it to them. Why am I telling you this? Because this is the time of the year where we give thanks. This is the time of the year when we start thinking about Jesus Christ. This is the time of the year when your family members are most vulnerable to this. Or if you have a death in the family, that's a time when your family members are thinking about these things and it's a good time for you to take care of them. So you might ask, okay, pastor, I get what you're saying and you're going through your normal little passionate rants that you do, but why would I bother doing that? Why would I send an email and a voicemail and recite these verses and keep coming at people who are rejecting me and who are rejecting what I'm saying. Here's why. Romans 1.16, Paul says it and I say it. Here's why. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. For the gospel of God is the divine power of God the Father for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically, and then also to the Greek, the Gentiles. So, amen? amen? So, this is crazy. Jesus Christ has the power to make you spiritually alive. Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus holds the entire universe together with a word. Jesus says when you believe in him, he will save you. Jesus says he is the only one who can save you. And Jesus says his offer is for everyone regardless of race, creed, color, or previous condition of servitude. In short, Jesus is amazing. Jesus Christ is God, and only God could make such claims. And that's the conclusion to which we are forced with just five Bible verses. Put those verses on your Christmas card. You want to send a Christmas card to somebody? Put that on the Christmas card. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you have a nice Christmas. And Happy New Year. Every card, the same thing, completely meaningless, does not have any impact. But we feel obligated to lick poison off an envelope and send about 100 of those bad boys with a 60-cent stamp or however much they're charging for it. Anyway, Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ is amazing. So why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are keeping watch in every place, seeing the evil and the good. The wicked should be warned, and the Lord's believers should be comforted by this truth. God is omnipresent. And he is watching out for you every single moment. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, which introduces them to some very good news that Jesus Christ has a salvation offer, free of charge. The Lord's arms are wide open to unbelieving ones. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable, in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved. All right, so why, are, why do people end up in the lake of fire if the Lord desires that all should be saved? Free will. 
You get to choose where you spend eternity. The soul once born never dies. You get to choose where it spends eternity. That's up to you. For unbelievers, the Lord is constantly sending a message. I want you. And not only is he sending the message, he's going out and looking for them as if they are lost sheep. Barah Ministries is also provided by God for Christians, for those who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 on the second half says this, The Lord Jesus Christ wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why we study the word of God. The Bible is the truth. And the word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ's love letter to the human race. And in his word, the Lord says to believers in Christ in very many ways, I got you. First, I want you. When you say yes to that, I got you. So why study the Word of God? We study the Word of God to allow God's truth to shape our reality instead of letting the world's lies shape our reality. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 say this, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. That's the problem for most Christians. Most Christians want to do it on their own. And they abandon sound instruction. These words, when they hit your soul, they wash over your soul. And they bring a calm and a comfort to your soul, knowing that there is a God who cares about you and who wants the best for you all the time and who never wants anything negative for you. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not forsake wisdom, which is sound biblical teaching, and she will guard you. Love her, sound biblical teaching, and she will watch over you. Proverbs 4, 7, the first step toward wisdom is to acquire wisdom. Ah, that's why we come and study the Word of God, because this is where you acquire wisdom. And what is wisdom? Knowledge combined with experience that results in understanding. And see, you don't have to touch a stove to figure out it's hot. You know, not like my knucklehead older son. You know, I tell him it's hot, don't touch it, and he touches it. Amen? He got to learn the hard way. You don't have to learn the hard way about everything. Some things you can just learn by being told. Amen? And that's what the Bible is all about. The Bible doesn't want you to learn the hard way. God does not want you to learn the hard way. So we study to help us realize that the real reason we are here on earth is to decide about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and then to learn the Word of God. Spiritual things, not worldly things. And there are a whole bunch of people, thousands of people running around. They think the most important thing on a Sunday is to get McDonald's, you know, to go to McDonald's and get an egg McMuffin and some hash browns. Amen? Oh, it doesn't sound bad. Our brother is kind of hungry. Amen? <laughs> so... So who is God's enemy? God's enemy is Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. The biggest deception that Satan has, has created in the world. He deceives the whole world. And his biggest deception is that he doesn't exist. And about 60% of Christians between the ages of 16 and 30 don't believe that Satan actually exists. Yeah, okay. So... John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, 
will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. Not only is, does Satan exist, but he is the ruler of this world. He has a demon army that is assigned to sabotage things in the world. How about that? He has a world and then he has his troops sabotaging things in the world. Exactly what a tyrant would do. And because we live in Satan's kingdom, we know this undeniable fact that is revealed in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down. This is a future event. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, he'll be thrown out of heaven. That's where he's resident right now. The one who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world, including you. Satan is a liar. And one of the things you want to ask yourself in reflection is how is Satan deceiving you? What is it that he has told you is okay that isn't? Oh, marijuana. Marijuana is harmless. Okay. Yeah. Ask all the guys who are growing breasts because smoking <laughs> marijuana, how harmless it is. Marijuana it stimulates estrogen production in males. Ask them how harmless it is. All right. Today's... <laughs> Today's Bible lesson. <laughs> and we're scratching our head why, why so much lesbianism is happening in the world, right? Yeah. Guys are turning into women. Today's Bible lesson. Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Yes, but what? Never enough, that's right. Well, it, as you get deeper into knowing more and more about him, you find out that there's more and more to know. Yeah. It's just like having a relationship with a person. You know, we marry somebody, and we think we know them just because we walked down the aisle with them and said, I do, and then over the next 25 years, they change, right? And we still think that they're the person that we said I do with a long time ago. They're not. They grow. People actually change and grow. And it's the same with God. God's not growing, but there's more and more and more for us to know about him. And when we know that about him, it gives us a confidence that staggers the imagination. So when most people go to a restaurant, especially if they go to the restaurant hungry, often they miss the most important part of the meal. They obsess about the hors d'oeuvres, or as my European friends call them, stadas. They even obsess about the dessert. One friend of mine ate dessert first in case he died before he finished the meal. Another one of my friends is a closet dessert aficionado, pretending not to care much about dessert, but devouring it voraciously when it comes. The people who obsess about the hors d'oeuvres and the dessert often miss the centerpiece of the meal, the main course. So it is in the spiritual life. Many Christians miss the main course of Christianity, which is Christ. And what do I mean by that? They obsess about things that are not Christ, and they know the Lord only on the surface. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. All because of you, Lord. He's not a slogan. He's not a slogan. He's a person. Slogans aren't good enough. That's not how you get to know him. Yeah, he died for your sins. Why? Why did he do that? What if he hadn't? 
What if you had been the only one that he had to go to the cross for? Would he have still done it? Or did he need numbers? You've got to have answers to these questions. Well, the answers to those questions are right here in this little book, the Bible. Which, and it's my job to tell you what's in there because you're not going to look on your own. I help you. Well, the Lord wants us to know him deeply. And in today's lesson, as we continue our study of Colossians chapter 1, we'll delve into the main course. We'll learn about the preeminent, sovereign, all-sufficient, and incomparable Christ. We've got a passage that describes him to perfection. And he is by far the most important person in divine history. All right, well, let's hear some music. The rock band Chumbawamba has a great song that says, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Think you're ever going to keep me down? song called Tub Thumping. Paul exhorts his protege in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. He tells Timothy that in the face of false teachers and false teaching, we are to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Well, here's Unspoken to echo the same sentiment in their song, Good Fight. Until you stop breathing, till you stop bleeding, until your heart stops kick drum beating, when it's hard times, when it's long days. And the enemy is right up in your face When your back's against the ropes And you're feeling all alone Keep fighting the good fight Keep letting your light shine Cause I'm never gonna leave you Always gonna see you through to the other side Keep fighting the good, fighting the good Fighting the good fight, good fight
Great song. Keep on fighting that good fight. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we're grateful because we know that you are a personal God who has us in your mind at every moment. We are grateful because you have given us your Son, who is a person, not a thing, not a concept, not a higher power, not any of the words that we use to objectify him. He is a person who died for us and who is ever-present in our lives. He is the reason for our very existence as the creator of all things. Father, you know everything about our past, our present, and our future, and we don't. You know all the circumstances that have brought us to this point in our life journey. And whether we acknowledge it consciously or not, you are the one who has been ordering our steps. You are orchestrating our lives and our learning, equipping us for the things you want us to do. Thank you so much, Father. Focus our spiritual eyes on the prompting of God the Holy Spirit. Make us aware of how to best serve you and others. Show us how to enjoy this life amid its trials and tribulations. Show us how to be our authentic selves. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? I sat down in one of my prayer sessions this week and just wrote out what I know about Jesus Christ. And after about five pages, I got bored writing it out. There's so much to write, I could have just kept going. There's so much to know about Jesus Christ. Today, you're going to get a really good glimpse of who this is that we worship. This person, he is not a thing. He is not a concept. And just because you haven't met him does not make him any less real. So the problems in the Lycus River Valley of the first century, that place about 100 miles east of Ephesus in Turkey, where Laodicea and Aeropolis and Colossae were located, were, were full of isms that infected every area of the world. And two of those isms, pluralism and intellectualism, were looking for a home in the church in Colossae. That's what happens. As soon as you become a believer in Christ, and as soon as you start studying the words, what happens? All of Satan's army comes in and tries to squash it out of you. You know, that's what we saw here in Barah Ministries. We lost some people who are very important to us. Why? Because Satan comes in and does that. He squashes the goodness out of places. And we allow ourselves to be sucked in by that stuff, and we justify it by saying all these little goofy things to ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, we didn't stay the course. And that's what being a Christian is all about. Fighting the good fight. Staying the course. In, in the face of constant barrages of attacks. Constant. Because Satan doesn't let up. The cool thing about Satan, though, is he's boring. He's just predictable. And he comes at us the same way over and over and over again. He figures out what you are weak at, and he just keeps coming at that over and over and over again. So you can always count on the same thing. It's beautiful. 
Well, this church starts in Colossae, and right away, false teachers sought to infiltrate the new church at Colossae with false teaching. And Epaphras, the founder of the church, went to Ephesus to seek help from the Apostle Paul, who was in prison there. And Paul wrote this letter that we're studying to these Colossian believers. And the letter was circulated not only in Colossae, but in Laodicea and Aeropolis and in the whole Lycus Valley, Lycus River Valley region. Now here's what they were bringing into the church. They were bringing in pluralism as a philosophy. What is that? It's a doctrine of multiplicity. It's the exact opposite of unity. See, if you say, if we as Christians say that we're unified, and if we say, if we're bold enough to say, look, there's one way to get to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. All the multiplicity people, all the pluralistic people will say, oh, no. There are many ways to get to God. There are many roads that lead to heaven. No, there aren't. No, the Bible says there's one way, Christ. Oh, well, that's so rigid. That's so rigid. You, you're not tolerant. You know, and so we got all this language today that if you're actually focused, if God is not confused, and he says there's one road to get to heaven, and it's Christ. If you don't say that there are many roads, there's something wrong with you. Okay, then there's something wrong with me. I'm a freak. Okay. But I will tell you this. You don't know this right now. You have to just take your best guess. You have to trust what God says in his word. But there's going to be a day when everybody knows that there's one road and all those multiple roads didn't, were all multiple dead ends. And the Bible says it over and over. The broad road leads to destruction, but there's a narrow road that leads to the resurrection life. And what's the narrow road that leads to the resurrection life? Christ. All right? You don't believe it. So, does that change the truth of it? Because you don't believe it? Your beliefs are only valuable to the degree that they are consistent with the truth. But that's, that's not what the pluralists say. The pluralists say the opposite. The pluralists say, there's not just one truth. There are many truths. In other words, whatever you think is true is your truth. <laughs> yeah, past the joint. That's not how it is. I guarantee you, if you run a red light and there's a police officer sitting there, you're going to get a ticket. That's the truth. You don't get to say, oh, well, my truth is red means go. You don't get to say that. And see, just we don't stop to question the way we think sometimes and how we think these things that just don't work. We don't test the theory. Okay, there's nothing wrong with having a theory. There's nothing wrong with it. You, you, you go into a particular place, and I told you, my favorite set of whipping boys, the Roman Catholics. I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. It just didn't play out when I sat it next to the Bible. And it dawned on me, wait, we only open the catechism of the Catholic Church. We don't open the Bible. Oh, wait, when we open the Bible, we look and there are more books in here than there are in another Bible. What's that all about? And it, 
and you keep questioning, what does this mean? As opposed to just say, oh, well, they said so, so, uh, yeah, I'll just accept what they had to say, you know. I mean, at least, at least I got some spirituality. No, well, wait a minute, is it the truth? That's really the question. Are you learning the truth? And the truth is always the truth. The truth is like a chocolate bar. If you take a knife and start carving a chocolate bar, all you find is more chocolate. But there are chocolate bars with almonds, see? And you carve that chocolate, and eventually you run into a nut. (laughs) Amen? That's not chocolate. It's chocolate with something. And so there's Christianity, which is chocolate, and there's religion, which is chocolate hiding a nut. And the nut is a lie. And we don't look. We say, oh, it looks the same, chocolate and chocolate. No, there's a nut in one, and there's not a nut in the other. You've got to use some discernment, people. That's what God wants us to do. So this pluralism philosophy was that there are many truths, and whatever you think is true, and you thought that the things going on in our world today are new. This is not new. All the stuff that we're going through is not new. Our deep desire for diversity, equity, and inclusion is not new. But here's the thing. The, the, the funny thing about this, I was on a call this week with a group that I'm associated with who was talking about diversity and equity and inclusion. And I get it why we're talking about it, but I, I dropped the mom on them. I said, why don't we talk to the people rather than trying to change this outward system? Because this outward system has never changed and it's not going to change. Here's the truth in this world. I was born colored, I became a Negro, then I became black, then I became a minority, then I became an African American, which is a, a term designed to neutralize the fact that I am an American, which is one of the greatest things to be ever. I'm an at-risk youth. I'm everything but human. In 66 years, that has never changed. Not once. But you know what changed? Me. Because anytime you say that stuff to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to punish you with my success. I'm going I'm to prove to you that what you believe about race One race being inferior is not true. I'm going to punish you with my success. I changed. The world didn't change. And then I go to the Bible and say, hey, what has God got to say about this? Galatians 3.26. With God, there is no Jew or Greek. There's no racial distinction. With God, there is no slave or free. There's no social distinction. With God, there's no male or female. There's no gender distinction. So every time we start talking about this stuff, we realize that somebody's introducing that other than God. I've got an executive coaching client, and she believes that women have a glass ceiling and that there's an old boys club. And then when she comes and does coaching with me, I say, so what? So what? What does that mean? You can't be successful? Is that what it means? Punish that with your success. Prove it 
wrong. You don't understand. Yeah, I understand really well. Pluralism. It's designed to make you feel inferior. It's designed to make you feel like you can't have what you want. Prove it wrong. But as soon as a new church comes, what happens? Boom! All this crap comes in. Well, what does Solomon got to say about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9? That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Every year, every day, forever, this has been that way. You know, we think we have it bad. Oh, we're getting vaccinated. Christians used to be killed in the square. They used to be set on fire. And when they asked Nero why he was setting Christians on fire, he said, they said they're the light of the world. (laughs) Funny. We don't have it that bad anymore. So intellectualism was the other ism. It was a philosophy as well. The idea that all truth is derived from the mind. Rene Descartes. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. No, you ain't. (laughs) If you made it up in your mind, that doesn't mean that you were right about it. That's intellectualism. An idea that all truth is derived from the mind. That everything is about reason. What about emotion? I think, therefore I am. Why wouldn't this view be typical of the day? Because the Greeks espoused the same philosophy and sought to spread it throughout the whole world. And they were successful at it. 6,000 miles away from Turkey, yet they were spreading that philosophy. Well, in the next passage of Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul turns our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, read this way. Listen to the Lord's biography. This is the Lord's biography. Colossians 1.15. The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and Father. He is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.16. For by the Lord, God the Son, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, all things have been created through the Lord, and for the Lord. Colossians 1.17 The Lord is before all things, and in the Lord all things hold together. Colossians 1.18 The Lord is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Colossians 1.19 For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in in the Christ. Colossians 1.20 And through the Lord to reconcile all things to God the Father having made peace through the blood of the Lord's cross through Him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's the Lord's biography. There is no single place in the Bible that does as good a job of describing the one whom we worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The other night at dinner, my older son, Zachary, asked me a penetrating question. What is your relationship like with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Now, I thought it was a funny question because he's been witnessing my relationship with Jesus Christ for 33 years. He was the first member of Barah Ministries. So 22 years ago, we were sitting at my dining room table and Barah Ministries was begun. He was the first person at that table. So that was a really interesting question from him to ask me. What is your relationship like with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I guarantee you he knows the answer to that question, but he just wanted to hear me say it. And immediately tears of appreciation flooded my eyes. And there was a tightness in my throat. And all I could muster was this. There are no words to describe what my relationship with the Lord is like, nor what that relationship means to me. But I know this. I would not want to live if I didn't have a relationship with him. And that's the truth, the absolute truth. Amen? I would not want to be here without that relationship because that relationship is everything to me. All right, so when we return from the break, we'll see why. We'll take the offering and then we'll see what the passage has to say about the one that all of us believers love as we study that passage verse by verse. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history As another blood-bought Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name
Today's Bible lesson, Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Do you really know Jesus Christ? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 reminds us, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you only put a couple of seeds in the ground, you'll only get a couple of stalks of corn, but if you put a thousand seeds in the ground, you probably get a thousand seeds of corn. So God expects us to do everything with a mindset of abundance and to do nothing with a mindset of scarcity. So let your giving reflect abundance. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall, the birthday boy, with an insightful, powerful, and inspiring offering message. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Bible, from the Word of God. And as we as we get older, especially now that I'm getting older, I think uh, it's it's funny how the dynamics change. You know, at little kids, they're so they're in such a hurry to grow up. They're in such a hurry to do the next thing and be an adult not knowing anything about it, really. They want to grow up, and they want to be <clears throat> mature, and they want to be older. And I think as we get older, we, we hold on to our youth. Like, I still think I'm 35, 25. You know, I'm still thinking about college, and that was 20-something years ago. And it's funny how the perspective kind of flips. You know, you get a little bit older, and you don't want to be older. You don't want to grow older. You want to hold on to that youth. And you almost kind of self-check. You check yourself. You restrict yourself from growing. You, you hold on to that youth, and I think it stops you. It almost makes you disregard how qualified you really are at that point to live your life and to help other people and to be somebody that can help people. And, you know, when we had this verse as we were studying Corinthians, this verse really stuck out in my head, First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. But you mature believers need to take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to immature believers. And I thought, man, am I a stumbling block? Am I immature or am I immature? Where, where do I stand on that? And as, as looking back, I think a lot of us put ourselves on the wrong side of that. We say we think that we're immature. We don't realize how much knowledge we truly have. If you study with pastor for a year, you've, you've got more knowledge than most people in the whole country about Jesus. And I think a lot of people in this ministry have come through here and put themselves on the immature side. Pastor said it this morning. Oh, I don't know how to talk to people. Oh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to bring up God around people. That's BS. That's, that's really, it really is. You know, we're, we, I think we put ourselves as immature, and we're not. I think a lot of people that were here and left were very mature, and they knew exactly what they were doing, but they didn't want to step up to the responsibility of it. Because it's pressure. They didn't want to stand up here and do what I'm doing or what, what pastor's doing. Because it's pressure and it requires you. And people think that they're, just, they're not qualified to do it. And I, think, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think we have a lot more knowledge than we know. We know there's one God. There's one way to heaven. We know it was his blood that saved us. And nothing we've done. That's a huge start. We know his essence, the ten parts of his essence. You know, you can go through a whole day and think about those things and it'll brighten your day. If you have problems. 
And I think, you know, we become our own stumbling blocks because we consider ourselves to be immature, but we are mature. We know a lot more than we, we, than we let on. And I think it's just that we're scared. I'm scared. I don't always want to talk to people about Christ. I remember growing up, I, was, I, was, I never wanted to tell people that I was a Bible thumper, that I was Christian. He's, you were a goofball. You were a weirdo. You were, you know, oh, you believe in Jesus. And really, a lot of people probably did, but they never said it. And so I think at that point, I, I could have probably given the gospel to so many more people over my life. And I really feel like I have been a stumbling block to so many people because I didn't give them the opportunity. And so this verse really made me think about, you know, how, how our actions affect other people. And it's really easy to, to forget that people are always watching you. But I think we're way more complicated, or we're, we're way more qualified than we let on. It's, it's a lot like parents. You know, we don't get a manual when you become a parent. But it's pretty obvious if you look at other people and you see them hitting a kid, that's probably not the way to go. Or if you see them feeding candy or staying up too late. We saw people with little two-year-olds at the Suns game last night at 10 o'clock. I don't know why. That's not a good idea. I know as a parent I'm not going to do that. You know, or how about food? When you get about 18, you graduate, you've got a son that's going on his own. You think he knows how to eat? He probably does, but he's, he's probably, he knows to not eat McDonald's every day, but he's going to think, oh, it's convenient, it's easy. You know, we, he knows what to eat, but he probably won't say he does. And it's a lot like Pastor mentioned traffic. You know, we think we're not really good drivers, but we know don't run a red light. You see somebody running a red, not, red light, you're not going to be, oh, I better run a red light now. That's, that's a good idea. You know, so we, we think everybody around us is, is our stumbling block, but it's really our own mentality, our own struggles with it. And I think it's, it's real easy to think that we have a superficial or a shallow relationship with God, but we don't. And that's why I love when pastor asks these penetrating questions to, to really let us know who Jesus is. And so we can have a deep relationship. And I think a lot of times when we ha- come, I come up here at the offering, people are thinking, no, nah, I can't give. You know, I don't have enough money to give. It doesn't take that much. And God's going to give it all back to you without a doubt. We've seen it. And so just thank you for always giving and always, you know, allowing this place to not be a stumbling block for others. This is a, a launching pad for people to have a relationship with Christ because of your giving and because of your constant support for our pastor and for this message. So thank you very much.
the songs that we play for break and for the offering aren't just filler songs. You know, the unconditional love song, if you've never really listened to the words of that song, you should listen to that word to the words because there's a message there for us that unconditional love is the very foundation of Christianity. And so we don't just play those things just to be playing them. We play them because they mean something. Thanks for a great uh, message, Deacon Denny. Today's Bible lesson, Christians, do you really know Jesus? Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Well, what does the Apostle Paul have to say about the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 say this, The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and Father. He is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.16, For by the Lord, God the Son, all things were created, things in the heavens and things on the earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, legitimate authority, or evil rulers and authority. There are evil rulers and authority that God created as well. He didn't create them evil, but he allows their evil. All things have been created through the Lord and for the Lord. Those evil authorities were even created for the Lord. Okay? Jesus Christ is God in human form. What a humiliation for him to take on human form when he is deity. He is the visible manifestation of the entire Godhead. And the way I've always looked at the triune Godhead is you've got God the Father, who's the planner of everything. You've got God the Son, who's the executor of everything. You've got God the Holy Spirit, who is the invisible member, who is the teacher of everything. And then right in the center of that, you've got a reflection of the three of them, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, now the Lord Jesus Christ is not the same as God the Son, even though God the Son is part of him. Because what makes the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Son different is that God the Son is total deity. Jesus Christ is deity and humanity in one person. So he is the reflection, and I think that's what's uh, in view here when we hear that in, in Colossians 1.15, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and Father. He is an exact reflection of God the Father. So when you're looking at Jesus Christ, you're looking at God the Father. When you're looking at Jesus Christ, you're looking at God the Son. When you're looking at Jesus Christ, you're looking at God the Holy Spirit because they are the exact same in essence. And when you check various religions, and we know here at Barah Ministries that religion is Satan's system, and it is designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God, and it is absolutely effective at it. We know that religion mixes the truth with lies, that there's the truth up here and the lie is hidden in it, see? And just to give you an example of that, and by the way, if I'm going to lie to you, most of it's going to be true. The most effective lie is 90% true. The lie is going to be hidden within the truth, Roman Catholicism. If you ask a Roman Catholic, if they believe in Jesus Christ, they will tell you yes. Okay, If you ask them if the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is the same Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity, they will say yes. They will say, hey, Catholics are Christians. Okay, well, if you're Christians, then why don't you just say you're Christians? Why do you say you're Catholic? 
Because your allegiance is to the Pope. Your allegiance isn't to Christ. The Pope calls himself the vicar of Christ, and yet he says Jesus Christ's life from a, a completely human point of view was a complete failure. That's what he said. This is Pope Francis. That's what he said. Doesn't, do, there are 1.3 billion Catholics. Does that ever stimulate anything in their mind? Like, wait, wait, what? So if you go into the Catechism of the Catholic Church and you look at the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism, he did not complete the work of salvation at the cross. Therefore, the priest summons him down to the altar uh, in every Mass to help him complete the work of salvation. A human being, a fallible human being, helps the supreme, preeminent, sovereign God of the universe complete salvation. That's what their doctrines say. And there are 1.3 billion people who don't know that. And there are going to be some surprised people in hell, man. They're going to be shocked because they don't believe in the real Jesus. They believe in a counterfeit Jesus. Do you understand how that is? That if you have $100 and it's a real $100, you can buy stuff? And if you try to buy stuff with a counterfeit $100 bill, it will not buy stuff? Do you get that? If you try to get to heaven with a counterfeit Jesus, you are not getting there. Counterfeit Jesus does not impute his righteousness to you, which is a requirement for you to get to heaven. You have to be righteous. That's not at all what Roman Catholicism says. Roman Catholicism says there are some cool sins and there's some not-so-cool sins. And if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, you're going to hell. So somehow there has to be a priest around you when you die so that you can confess before you die. No. This doesn't even make any sense. But... Every religion has doctrines, and nobody goes in and bothers to read them. They just join it because their parents joined it, and so their parents said to do it, so they did it, and they just go through the motions, but they don't like going to church. Why? Because they know when they go there, it's a bunch of crap. They can hear it. People are smart enough to discern crap when they see it, and they don't want that. They don't buy it. I can't tell you how many unbelievers I've talked to in the course of my life, and they say that all the time. Well, I don't like religion. I don't like organized religion. And then they say it's man-made. No, it's not. It's Satan-made. Satan did it and blamed man. No. This isn't a joke, man. This is serious business that we're dealing with here. So this Lord Jesus Christ that we worship is the one who on the cross said, Tetelestai, your salvation was paid in full. Nobody has to help because I'm doing it. He is God in human form. He is the visible manifestation of the entire Godhead. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this, no one has seen God the Father at any time. 
but the only begotten one of God the Father, who is in the bosom of God the Father, the Lord, he has explained God the Father. You haven't seen God the Father, but the Lord explains him in his word. And one day the Lord's going to be face to face with you and explain it. And then you're going to see God the Father too. In John chapter 10, verse 30, the Lord says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father are one, which means that we are the same in essence. The Greek word for one is also the Greek word for same. We are the same in essence. He's claiming to be God. People persecuted him because he claimed to be God. Now, the reason they were persecuting him is because they thought he was a man. He was telling the truth. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, not a beginning, because God has no beginning and no ending. God extends all the way to eternity past and all the way forward to eternity future, and there never is going to be a time that he didn't exist. In the beginning, not a, a beginning, was the word. That's the whole logos in the Greek. It's a reference to... The Lord, God the Son. And the Word was with God the Father. And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, was God, deity. Go to the Jehovah's Witness Church and get them to read you that verse. And they will tell you he is like a God. Because they don't believe Jesus Christ is God. He is like a God. They have to modify their Bible to be effective and not outing their own doctrines, which are lies. Oh, why are you always bagging on religions? Because I want you to know the truth. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that religion is the same as Christianity. See, that's, that's what I love about religion. They are so good. They drag Christianity into their cesspool, and they say, Christianity is just another religion. No, it isn't. There's Christianity, which is a relationship with Christ. And then there's religion, which is man by his own work trying to please God and never pulling it off. They are polar opposite. And when you read the doctrines of a religion, which you should always do if you're a member of a religion, look for the left turn. Real true, real true, real true, oops. Look for the left turn. It will always be there. And you got to see it. This John 1, 1 verse. In the beginning was the Word, the Lord God the Son, and the Word was, God the, was with God the Father, and the Word, the Lord God the Son, was God. So you see two separate people there. You see the Lord God the Son, and you see God the Father. Oops, somebody's missing. Who's missing? God the Holy Spirit, but he's not missing. He's actually the one doing the talking. He's the one doing the teaching. He's not missing. So all three members of the triune Godhead are in view in this verse, including the silent member of the Godhead, and it just dawned on me yesterday that God the Holy Spirit is content to do what Satan refused to do, which was just teach, just be in the background. Don't come to the center stage because Satan's job in the beginning was to teach the angels how to worship God. And he didn't like it because he was effective at it. 
the angels were worshiping God. And he said, no, you should be worshiping me. I'm going to make myself like the Most High. No, you're not. But the fact that you even said that is indication that you already know that you're a counterfeiter. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to be like God. And he tells you, oh, you can be Christ-like. You wish. You will never be Christ-like. You resemble Christ in zero ways, except the fact that he imputed his righteousness to you if you believe in him. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. He created everything. He created everybody. He is the maker of all things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in the Lord Jesus Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily human form. How many different times does God have to tell you in the Bible that Jesus Christ is God? The Bible describes this magnificent person in so many ways. He is 100% God, 100% man, and one person forever. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and He lived among us. And we apostles, this is John talking, we apostles saw his glory with our own eyes. John was one of the three apostles that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus Christ in his transfiguration and what he was going to look like at the second coming. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. When they went to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what he said to the, to the guards? He said, who are you looking for, man? said, Jesus, the Nazarene, he said, I am he. And when he said, I am he, he sent forth his glory, and they fell on the ground. He said, if you want me, let these guys go. And, and he said to them, you know what? Peter took out his sword and cut off one of the, one of the guy's ear, Malchus's ear. And Jesus, this should have been a clue. Jesus picked up the guy's ear and put it back on. That should have been a clue, but they didn't get it. And he turned to Peter and he said, hey, there are angels around me right now. There is a legion of angels. That's 144,000 angels. There are 144,000 angels around me now. Do you think that if I snap my finger, they won't jump these guys? I'm good. I'm going to the cross. I got a job to do. Don't get in the way. Put that sword down. Yep, that's the one that we're talking about here. We beheld his glory, glory as of the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 19. For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in human form in the Christ. Can you see how each verse in Colossians reaches into a plethora of other verses in the rest of Scripture? It is mind-boggling to study Colossians. Four chapters, and every word, every verse reaches into a hundred other verses. 
It's absolutely insane. I have to just, at, at a point, cut it off because I'd be preparing one lesson for a month. The Lord, God the Son, became a man, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, to die for us so that we would be redeemed. That word is significant. Redeemed from sin and reconciled. That word is significant to God the Father. Christians, do you really know who Jesus Christ is? Do you really know what he did? Do you really know what it means what he did for you? Do you have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with this Lord? Because this Colossians passage describes Jesus Christ as the preeminent one. Do you even know what that means? Do you know what it means to be preeminent? It means he is superior to all others. There's a song that I absolutely love that I get teary-eyed when I hear it. There is none like you. No one else can do the things that you do. There's none like him. To put the Lord's greatness into words scrambles the human imagination. There is little that we can do to describe our relationship with him, but to cry tears of appreciation and joy. John chapter 1, verse 4. In the Lord Jesus Christ was the resurrection life, the Greek word zoe, the resurrection life. And the resurrection life was the light of men. His humiliating death on a cross gave us a chance for eternal life, the resurrection life. Humiliating. The worst death in human history is crucifixion. It was reserved for criminals. It is the worst form of torture ever. All of your weight is resting on your heart and your lungs for a period of time until you are suffocated to death. It's awful. And why did he do it? For redemption, to purchase us from the power of sin with his blood, and for reconciliation, to remove the dividing wall between us and God the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord is before all things. He has always existed, and there's never been a time he didn't exist. And in the Lord, all things hold together. It, you know, my, my good friend, Pastor John Farley, is a physicist and a chemist. And when he describes this, he describes that atoms, when they are floating together in compounds, are held together by something. Right? And the universe is the same. See, scientists, there's no excuse for them not knowing God because they see compounds and they, they, see, they see there's some invisible force holding them together. They've got to ask the question what is it? It's God, it's Jesus. And that's the same thing he's doing for the universe. Why don't stars collide with each other? Why doesn't the sun fall on us and burn us up? Why is it that what goes up must come down? He's holding gravity together. How? With the word of his power. He has all the power. With a word. He could scratch his face and you would stop breathing. And every moment, you ought to thank him that that doesn't happen to you. And it doesn't happen to you 
because he intended for it not to happen to you a billion years ago. He knows exactly who you are. And he has ordered for you a number of days. And you will not be on this planet one more day or one less day than he ordained a billion years ago. You are important to him. Only because of you, Lord. Jesus died for my sins. Does that describe him? That doesn't. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. That doesn't describe him. You know why? Because you can't describe anything that magnificent. You can't. It's mind-boggling. And he humiliated himself for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 say this, God the Father, after he revealed himself long ago to the fathers through the prophets by various means and in various ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus the Christ, whom God the Father appointed heir of all things. He is number one. And through this Christ also, God the Father made the entire universe. Hebrews 1.3 And the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory. What does the radiance mean? It's the, he is the flashing forth of God the Father's glory. And he is the exact representation of God the Father's essence. And the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins at the cross with his blood paying for everything you'd, every sin you'd ever commit, past, present, and future, you ever go to God and you say, God, please forgive me. You ever go with one of those weak appeals? God, please forgive me. He forgave you a billion years ago. You didn't even ask him. He already did it. He doesn't need your request. He already did it. He did it on the cross with his blood. Is signed, sealed, and delivered. Why do you think Stevie Wonder wrote that song? Amen? <laughs> signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Amen? Amen? It's done. Don't ask for what you already have. If you got an ice cream in your hand, don't ask for ice cream. You already have it. You don't have to ask for forgiveness. It's done. Believer or unbeliever, done. Your sins when you meet Jesus Christ, your sins will never be brought up. That's not what he's going to be talking to you about. What he's going to be talking to you about is whether you have a relationship with him or not. That's your choice. And you'll know which one is which. Because if you're at the great white throne judgment, you don't have one. If you're at the last judgment, at the, at the Bema seat judgment, you do have one. And if you're at the great white throne judgment, just know this. The lake of fire was a gracious gift so that you would have some place to live. Which he didn't have to do. And he was even nice enough to put you with all people who are just like you who want nothing to do with him. That's it. It's not damnation. It's not he's looking to come down on you. He gives you a choice. You make it. Where do you want your soul to spend eternity? You make it. And it's a decision you make at a single moment in time with the result that it stands finished forever. Once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. John 10, 28. 
I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my all-powerful hand. Jesus is the name above all names. He is the Son of God and He is the Son of Man. Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this, The Lord is also head of the body of the church. We are the church-age believers. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, the only person ever resurrected from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Christ in bodily form. When the Jews were looking at Jesus, they were looking at their Messiah, and they rejected him. Did he reject them? Huh? No. No, he made five promises to Abraham. And they will be fulfilled. And it's so funny to me. Everybody, oh, you know, the Jews, you know, we should just wipe them out. Right? Well, that was what the Holocaust was. Did it work? Nope. They're still here. They got seven countries around Israel that want to wipe them out. And they can't do it. They can't do it. This little bitty country. Just overrun them, man. All you guys have a talk. Just overrun them. Never will happen. Never will happen. Ever. No. Because Jesus made promises to the Jews. And the promises will be fulfilled. Whether they rejected him or not. You know why? Because that's how cool he is. Because he keeps his promises. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 says this, You, God the Father, have made Jesus Christ for a little while lower than the angels. Why? Because he added the true humanity. Because human beings are lower than the angels. Just as angels are to human beings, so human beings are to animals. See? Animals are a little while lower than the humans. Humans are a little while lower than the angels. Yeah, it works just like that. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have appointed him over the works of your hands. And when Jesus was in human form as the Christ, the Lord was treated like dirt. You're just a carpenter's son. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You're just a man. You're just a rabbi. You're just a teacher. You're just a prophet, anything but what he is, God in the flesh. By taking on human form, God dumbed himself down for us, and he suffered at the hands of the very men he created. And to make it possible, all of that to make it possible for whosoever to have a relationship with his Father, for whosoever to be saved. See, religions want us humans to do the suffering. False teachers with false teaching sell false gods who make us work to please them. And even when we do the work, it's not good enough. How appropriate. Get this. Okay, you're Roman Catholic. You commit a sin. You go in and talk to the priest. The priest says, I absolve you from your sins. Now, go say five to ten meaningless prayers, and then maybe God will forgive you. Maybe. Maybe. This this is a this is like all the gambling apps that are popping up now. Oh, five dollar bet you could win two hundred dollars. 
right? And then as soon as you win that $200, we'll show you a way to spend it all plus add some of your own money to give it back to us. What a great game. What a great racket. Religion is not good enough. What they're proposing is not good enough. False gods are not good enough. What they tell us can't save us. Romans chapter 11 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If it's free, you don't have to work for it. What did God's grace do to the evil rulers and authorities? Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. When God the Father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those evil rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus at the cross. What is that all about? When the Roman armies used to attack various lands, they would go in, they would kick their butts, and they would walk their officers back into Rome, and they would take all their stuff and all of their women and walk them right back into Rome. And they would let their women see all of those officers killed, executed, made a public display of them, and then split up the stuff, the women and the stuff. And the general who orchestrated that would get a pension for life and would be deified. That's exactly what the Lord's going to do one day. He's going to walk all of his enemies into the square and then put them right in the lake of fire for all of us to see. He's going to make a public display of them. And he completely triumphed over them through Jesus at the cross, the strategic victory in divine history. And you as a believer in Christ have that strategic victory right this moment. It's over with. Evil will never triumph over you. No weapon formed against you will ever succeed. It'll irritate you for a minute. It'll inconvenience you for a minute. But it will never succeed. I don't get it why... Believers in Christ who turn on each other don't get that. You can turn on another believer in Christ if you want to, but do you think you're going to have a victory over this believer? You're not. I learned that a long time ago. I don't wish ill on any believer in Christ because I'm never going to have a victory over a believer in Christ. We've already got the victory. All I'm going to do is pray for my brothers and my sisters who do stupid stuff along their journey. I'm going to pray for them. They're still going to be in heaven. And luckily our memories will be wiped out so we won't remember any of this stupid stuff. We have a God who gives us grace upon grace. We have a God who knew we would sin. We have a God who knew we would fall. And he made us anyway. We have a God who suffered for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer. We have a God who is a great friend. We have a God who laid down his life for us. We have a God who loves us unconditionally, who forgives us completely, and who makes us residents 
in his sphere of grace in every single undertaking. Christians, do you really know Jesus Christ? Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And through the Lord, God the Father reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the Lord's cross. Through Jesus, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Christians, do you really know Christ? I do. You know one of the greatest things that happened to me this year? I want to share this with you. You want to, want to know one of the greatest things that happened to me this year? Raquel Viara and Sabra Viara. Meeting them. One of the greatest things that happened to me this year. Why? Well, when Raquel came here, you know, the first lesson she was here, she's talking to me about tongues. You know, she came out of some church that was teaching tongues, which are no longer in play. And so I took her to the Bible, and I said, here's what the Bible has to say about tongues. This is how you'll know tongues are happening. Tongues are happening when you're talking in your language, English, and somebody else who does not speak English hears you in their language. That's tongues. Now, is that what's going on in this church you go to? And she looked at me like I was a Martian, and that was the, the cue like, yeah, what you're saying is a bunch of bullshit. And I said, okay. And I told Zach, I don't like her all that much. I really don't. <laughs> but we'll give her some time. And now, she's a believer in Christ, and she's hungry for the Word. That makes me feel so good. So good. And her sister, who is a dyed-in-the-wool-I-want-to-live-in-a-tent person <laughs> comes here to Barah Ministries and in two lessons with two gospel messages becomes a believer in Christ. And she goes back to her house, you know, out in Seekonk, Massachusetts, wherever the hell that is. And every other word out of her mouth is Jesus. And her dad and her mom are going, what the hell happened to my children? They went to Arizona. What happened to them? My God. And now they're trying to tell her that all that stuff that she's thinking is a bunch of crap. You know why that was so important to me? That was God telling me that there's another generation of people who want to know him. And he picked those two people out to come in here and send me a message that what I do matters. So if you're wondering if I'm coming back, I'm coming back. I'm going to go get some rest. I'm going to go have some fun. I'm going to go study very deeply. I'm going to get a lot closer to the Lord than I have time to get now. And I'm going to come back because I'm looking to teach Raquel and Sabra and all of their friends. And it's a message to all the rest of you at Barah Ministries. 
that that's what happens when you get asses in these seats. That's what happens. People's lives are completely changed because you bothered to bring them here. And so what needs to be dead about bra ministries when I get back is this idea that all we have to do is sit here like lemmings and do nothing. I don't know who spread that idea, but I know it surely wasn't me. But we got these two beautiful young women who are hungry for the word. Saber said to me, I took her to a the football game. I don't think she gives a damn about football. I know Raquel doesn't. So, but I didn't take her to the football game because I wanted her to care about football. I just wanted to talk to her and just see what's going on in that cabeza of hers. And I said, so did you become a believer in Christ? She said, yeah. She said, I don't have the slightest idea what that means, but I am. Right? How clear is that? That's exactly right. You make a decision and you don't know what you just did. And you spend the rest of your life finding out what you just did. You make the decision and the process follows. It does not work in reverse. You don't, well, I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. Well, let me check all the facts. Well, I've studied religion for a really long time. I was with this guy at a wedding, and I wanted to punch him in his face, I swear, because he's just sitting there rubbing boogers and looking at his finger and what where did the booger go you know religion well you know the muslim religion they say that you know there there's an almighty god and christianity says the same thing it's the same no you have to look for the differences what are the differences the muslim religion says jesus christ is not god look at the differences don't look at the similarities. That's where you get fooled. Anyway, thank you, Raquel. Thank your sister for me. So, this Jesus, this passage says, he is first in all the things that this passage mentions. And more than that, he has made himself first in my life and in my heart. And without question, Choosing him to be my Lord and my Savior is the best decision I have ever made. It's the best decision I ever will make. And I hope you make the same decision. And I hope you get to know your amazing Lord because the same thing that happened to me will happen to you. Every time you think about him, you'll get choked up, your throat will get tight, and tears will come out of your eyes because of the magnificence of what he has done for you and for me and for all of us. Amen? Amen. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder that God wants you. And this is a reminder to all of you who don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you and what He wants from you is that you make the best decision, the most important decision of your life. Here are seven things for unbelievers to ponder as they consider a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Point one, there is a God and he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The first four words of the Bible confirm his existence. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God. The Lord isn't shy about telling you who he is. Joel chapter 2 verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God and there is no other God. 
In fact, the Lord is your creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Point two, the creator created you. You are one of God's creatures and he had a purpose in mind when he created you. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God the Father said, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, plural, us is plural in Hebrew, let us make man in our own image and according to our likeness. You are a spiritual being, and as such, you require a spiritual life. Point three, God has a plan for all mankind. God is organized. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that the earth and the universe were created by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father put everything in place in eternity past, and it is unfolding. He is not a wing-it guy, and he is not letting, the, nothing surprises him. So all of this has been taken into account in eternity past, not now. God made all of his decisions in eternity past, and we watch them unfold every day. Point four, God has a personal plan for you. Because God created you, God knows you intimately, he knows you by name, and he knows you way better than you know you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says this, The very hairs on your head are numbered. God custom-made you, and he custom-made a life designed specifically for you. Point five, God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. God wants you to know him. He is not hiding from you. He is not watching us from a distance. Bette Midler was wrong. He is not hard to get to know. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His deity keep on being clearly seen by everyone, being understood even through what has been made, as reflected in the things of nature so that all mankind is without excuse in the matter of knowing of the existence of the Lord. But what if they didn't know? Well, what about the little children in the middle of Africa? What if they didn't know? This verse says everybody knew. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know. If you've ever looked in the sky when you were in a, really, in a place that doesn't have a lot of light interfering, you know. There's no way that that just happened. Even Aristotle, who was one of the goofiest human beings on the planet, said that there is an unmoved mover. He just never figured out what his name was. And where he is today is hot. Because he didn't figure out what his name was. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in completely visible and totally predictable ways. Point six. God's enemy, Satan, doesn't want you to get to know God. Satan does everything he can to keep you ignorant about God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, so that they might not see the glory of Christ, who is the exact same in essence as God the Father. Jesus Christ is deity. Are you aware of the ways that Satan is lying to you about God? 
8.7, you owe God a hearing. Since God created you, you at least owe him a hearing. He has placed a desire inside of you to know what is beyond yourself and what is beyond the life that is visible to you. And he wants you to know him. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, The Lord has made everything appropriate in its time, and he has also set a desire for a knowledge of eternity in everyone's heart. Do you spend any of your time getting to know God? You have 168 hours a week. You sleep 56 of it. Do any of your 112 waking hours put you in touch with God and his word? There is nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But whoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. Acts chapter 16 verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment, the resurrection life. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's what makes him different than all the pretenders. He was resurrected from the dead. If he hadn't been resurrected from the dead, he's just another martyr who did something cool and died. But no, this martyr died and came back from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. It is absolutely of primary importance that you get to know the Lord. Do it today. Do it now. Because he welcomes you into a relationship with him. Well, let's close with music. At the cross, the Lord made a new covenant with the human race. And when we turn our backs on God as many in the Jewish race have, rejecting their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't bother remembering it. The Jewish race has much to look forward to, according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, which says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Well, Gentiles are no better. We need his mercy as well. It's always good to have June Murphy remind us of the thing we so easily forget, we're forgiven. When he looks within Christ finished his work For you and me He died and rose to make 
Well, let's acknowledge the magnificence of our Almighty God. Romans 15:5 says this, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, to think the exact same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus. Romans 15:6. So that with one accord you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 7, Therefore, keep on accepting one another. Keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting us all in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for giving us a gigantic dose of your word, and we especially thank you for this passage where you describe the preeminent, sovereign, all-sufficient, incomparable, indescribable, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you for giving him to us, and thank you for the sacrifice he made at the cross with his blood. We pray that you open our spiritual eyes to the truth. We, hope, uh, we pray that you open our spiritual ears to listen to the still, small voice of God the Holy Spirit as he instructs us. And we pray that you move our hearts to a heart of obedience, that you help us to operate with the new man, and give no mind whatsoever to the flesh that is talking to us all the time to sabotage our life, to turn us against you, and to help us ruin our own life. We ask these things through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.